Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Gorik Ng. Gorik is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Unspoken Rules, Secrets to Starting Your Career Off Right. Welcome to my podcast, Gorik. Jono, thanks so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, I'm, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. First of all, can you tell everyone, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and a little bit more about your book? Sounds great. So uh, I'm an author, obviously, and also a speaker and a talent management and diversity and inclusion consultant to some of the largest corporations out there. So the likes of IBM, like GE, like Aon and, and others. And what I essentially do is help individuals and organizations make sure that they create an environment where talent is developed, supported, and excited. And I do that by creating workshops and speaking engagements that help early career hires get up to speed from someone who's fresh out of school to someone who is able to take ownership, be a high performer, be that high potential, and can ascend to positions of leadership. And I also work with managers on how they can better manage in a more inclusive way, especially in light of this great resignation where talent is really all that you have and it becomes that thing where you don't appreciate it when it's there. You only appreciate it when you don't have it anymore. And a lot of organizations nowadays are looking to me and my work on how do we better engage, how do we better develop, and how do we better retain employees. Yeah, I love that. I think I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's definitely finding and keeping great people is something that comes up with you know every leader I chat to really across all industries. So I think it's a, it's a very mm -hmm. timely, uh, really timely subject. I'm, I, I'm excited to chat more about the book, but first I want to talk a bit about your story. Uh, so as we look back, you know, at your sort of childhood growing up, what, what are some moments from that season of your life or even themes that really shaped you to become the person and the leader you are today, Gorik? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say it, it brings me back to when I was 14 years old, actually. I am the proud son of a working class single mother who left school when she was 12 years old to work in a sewing machine factory. And when I was 14 years old, my mom was laid off from her sewing machine factory job, which was the only career that she had known at the time. And I, as the person who knew how to get onto the internet, knew how to put together a resume, or at least could fake it <laughs> well enough, ended up being the person to step up and to help her through that process. So I ended up spending recesses, learning to write resumes and cover letters, afternoons at the public library, looking for jobs, and evenings coaching my mom, which was really the blind leading the blind. And it was from that experience that I realized a few things. One was it was my first foray into this world of what I call the unspoken rules, where there are a whole bunch of things 
that separate those who get ahead from those who stumble and don't know why. And they're not taught in, the, in school. They're not taught in the formal curriculum. And they're often perceived as just common sense, things that you either get or that you don't. And this included for me and for my mom, the unspoken rules of how to navigate the job search. Later on for me, when I was transitioning into the workforce, how to navigate around ambiguity, around workplace politics, around managing up, all of those things, no one really teaches you, but everyone expects you to know. And so that was really the first big pivotal moment for me, for me when I realized, oh, wow, no one really teaches this stuff. That came back again when I was going through the university admissions process where I didn't realize until I went online that there are all these people who have, who pay tens of thousands, maybe even more than that dollars to help them navigate through standardized tests, admissions essays, which schools to pick, what recommendations to put together, how to do all of that. And I was going through all of that through trial and error. And it wasn't until I ended up at Harvard, I was fortunate enough to end up there as the first in my family to pursue a higher education. And when I got there, it was eyes wide open when I realized that it was the largest concentration of people who could call their parents and siblings doctors, lawyers, <laughs> politicians, corporate executives. And when I looked left and looked right and observed how they conduct themselves in school, in the job search, how they networked, how they built relationships, how they thought about their careers, I just realized, oh, wow, actually this is taught, this stuff. It's taught over the dinner table. It's passed down from parent to child or from mentor to mentee. And for those of you who have that sibling or that parent who's been through what you're going through before, it, it, it's just a matter of following your parent around to maybe their country club event or to their university reunion. But for those who don't know what they don't know, someone like me, this was the Wild West. And so what I wanted to do looking back was how do I pave a smoother path for people coming after me? And I decided to start this journey by focusing on the transition from school to work, where I remember it was my first day or first week in, in, in the workplace. And there was a senior partner at the firm who walked by one of my coworkers. And he said, hey, I'm going to make up the name here. Hey, are you Chelsea? And then my coworker looks up and says, yeah, I'm Chelsea. How can I help you? And the senior partner ended up saying, oh, let's grab lunch. And at the time I thought, wow, how great of an environment are we in for the most senior leaders at this company to walk by and want to grab lunch with people like us? Well, little did I know that this person wasn't grabbing lunch with everybody. They were grabbing lunch with people like Chelsea, who was referred to the firm, who had a parent who was university friends with a senior partner. And fast forward, you end up in a situation where Chelsea ended up getting onto projects that I didn't even know existed. And I, meanwhile, was waiting around for projects to come to me, not realizing that there are a whole host of unspoken rules around how do you navigate your way to a promotion, to more important responsibilities, to projects that don't get advertised through the front door. So um, this all comes together in this book where it's a combination of my personal story and my personal motivation, coupled with really, at least in the US where I am right now, there are 4 million people who go through this transition every year, many of whom are going through it through trial and error. And I feel like that's just a big shame to 
have such a waste of talent every single year to to be going through so much of this important transition through trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing some of your story with us. That's uh, that's that's really special. Um, let's start by talking about those who are going through that transition. What what advice uh, would you give around? And, and I guess people can can read the book to go into more detail. But just as a starting point, uh, what advice would you give to people who find themselves as one of those four million in the U.S. or in a similar? Um, transitional sort of season around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it actually leads nicely into the the, the term that you th- that that you use, which is leadership. Uh, that when we think about corporate executives and and world leaders, we th- we use the word leadership, but they're actually things that we can do in our own lives, regardless of tenure, regardless of 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 your background that are actually leadership skills. And these are skills around communicating effectively, around taking ownership, around being proactive, around managing your manager that are learned behaviors. And what it takes to acquire these these skills and these abilities is, well, one, looking left, looking right in a new environment, seeing what are the behaviors of those who are seen as the highest performers and the highest potential? And what are they doing and not doing that you can emulate because they are behaviors that are also authentic to you? And so I have a few examples here. So in in the workplace, and it doesn't actually matter if you are an early career professional or or mid-stage, if you're managing up, which all of us are, it's important to, number one, give people something to react to. So there's an unspoken rule, which I think of as do and show your homework. So instead of going to others and saying, what do I do next? There's actually a whole song and dance of how you talk to other people. And it's in the form of saying, Jono, I am trying to do research on this. I found this. I'm not so sure about this. Should I do A, B, or C? I think I'm supposed to do B, but I wanted to check it with you first. Am I thinking about this the right way? So I'm now using a lot more words than just saying, Jono, what do I do next? But there's a stylistic way in which you finesse your communication with other people that has people thinking, oh, wow, this person has a good head on their shoulders. They have things under control. They're taking initiative. This is the type of person that I want on my team. This is the type of person that I want to promote. So that's just one example. Um, Another example is around... Uh, essentially, essentially knowing when you're supposed to be seen and heard. So in the workplace, one of the most nerve-wracking arenas that you will find yourself in are meetings. And often, especially if you feel like an outsider, it can be difficult to speak up, whether because you don't know if you're about to say a stupid comment or if maybe you're in the presence of someone who's longer rambling or louder talking. And it's difficult to have your voice heard. What's really important in a situation like this is to look left, look right, observe the patterns of behavior of the people around you and to see, oh, wow, actually, it looks like many of the people at my tenure are speaking up. In which case, there's an unspoken rule or an unspoken expectation that you too will speak up. And then it's a matter of figuring out, hey, how do I get my voice in? 
How do I say it? How do I build allies around the room so that when that time comes, uh, that I'll be seen and heard? So lots to unpack there, but uh, really not taking for granted that you're doing your job mm. is only your job. There's actually a lot more that goes into it. Yeah, that's um, that's uh, that's really that's really interesting. I appreciate you unpacking that. Are there any other um, unspoken rules that you want to highlight? Uh, you know, now for for our listeners who may or may not be going through transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you're not going through a transition, uh, you, you're you're you would fall under one or more of the following categories. So you either want to keep up or you want to step up or you want to move into a, a different role. So outside of the moving into a different role situation, if you're trying to keep up, there are unspoken rules here around focusing on what's urgent and what's most important. That's the Eisenhower matrix, which um, I know you've, you've talked about in the past, so I won't go into a lot of detail on, but it's essentially making sure that you're focusing every day on what is most urgent and what is most important. And related to that is an unspoken rule around knowing what matters to those who matter. So over the course of a workday, you're going to encounter a lot of priorities, a lot of projects, and you just won't be able to keep up. And what these high performers do, what these star performers do, is they try and figure out, hey, who matters here? And what do they care about? What problems are they trying to fix? What, what topics are they trying to understand? What, what can I do to help them solve their problems? That can really set you apart in terms of stepping up what I think of as finding an unoccupied swim lane and then occupying that swim lane. I'll give you a, a specific example here. It's, it's yeah. towards the end of the book, I, I interviewed the manager of a temp employee actually in the Philippines. This temp employee was hired into what was widely seen as a dead end job. So she was a temp uh, office assistant where her job was to file papers and to onboard nurses onto the recruiting platform. So she worked at a company that essentially placed nurses into hospital jobs. And her job was to process all that paperwork. And her job was, I think, only supposed to last for about six months. But what she ended up doing fast forward was she became the youngest and fastest promoted manager in the company's history. Now, how did she end up doing that? She took a series of deliberate steps. The first step was she did her job fully accurately and promptly. Now, that, that might seem like common sense, but what is maybe less common is realizing that that's actually only a part of your job. In her case, doing her job well was going to get her paid and get her released from her contract at the end of her six month period. But what she did in addition was she, well, eavesdropped. <laughs> she was in the workplace and she overheard some <laughs> of her senior colleagues complaining about how they couldn't find enough nurses to place into hospital jobs. At which point she thought, well, duh, of course you can't find enough people because the places you're looking are not the job boards that my friends who are coming out of nursing school are looking at. Instead, they're going mm. on to social media. They're joining Facebook groups. And what she ended up doing was she joined these Facebook groups. She ended up lurking for a little bit. 
And one day she approached her manager and said, hey, you, you all might have already thought about this, but it occurred to me recently that we are not necessarily recruiting from these social media groups that some of our competitors are recruiting from. Is this something you all have considered? If not, I'd, I'd be happy to send you some intelligence on a regular basis so we can maybe tap this untapped talent pool. At which point her manager said, oh wow, we actually haven't thought about this at all. Why don't you go ahead and, and lurk? And then fast forward, she ended up becoming a subject matter expert on social media. She ended up having insights that not even senior employees at her company had had. And fast forward, her manager came up to her and said, I hope you're not going anywhere because we want you to do this full time and we want you to lead a team to do this as well. So what did she do? She mm. ended up figuring out what matters to those who matter, which is placing nurses in hospital jobs, not necessarily filing paperwork, that's but a means to an end. She ended up fixing a problem that hadn't been fixed, which was this issue. She ended up bridging what hadn't been bridged. So knowledge that a certain group had that wasn't common knowledge. And in doing so, she became the person who knew something that others didn't know. So that led to her finding a swim lane that didn't even exist and then occupying that swim lane and creating a job that didn't even exist before. Wow. Uh, I love that because working out um, what matters to, to people that matter is it's really interesting that you, that you mentioned that because it, it's one of the things that's come up the most in this podcast is the challenge um, let's look at it in a different sphere, you know, the challenge for, for leaders to understand what matters to their employees, the challenge for, um, organizations to work out what matters to their, to their customers. This, this ability is, is a real superpower. Um, and I love how you've really, uh, narrowed down how much that skill, if you can work out what matters to the people that matter in your organization, even as a very junior employee, that's just, I, I, I agree. I think that's such a wonderful um, and powerful paradigm instead of just thinking, I'm just going to do my job really well, full stop. Right, right. And nowadays, there are so many of us who aspire to be entrepreneurs. And really, the entrepreneurial process is about figuring out what matters to those who matter. If you want customers who have a willingness to pay, that's the entrepreneurial journey that you'll be on. This is more than just a workplace skill. This is more than just a skill for if you're a contractor trying to turn it into an, a full-time job. It's really a life skill. Yeah, this it is. It is a life skill. I mean, that's, that example is so good. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Are there any other examples or any other advice you'd give about how to work out what matters to the people that matter? Because we can't always overhear something they say um, in a meeting. And I'm just interested if you've come across any other uh, sort of strategies or have any other thoughts on, on how we can do that. Mm -hmm. I think of this process as one of uncovering aspirations and desperations. So what is it that this individual is trying to achieve? And what pains are this individual trying to alleviate or eliminate? So when it comes to, for example, um, 
I've talked to a, a number of, of folks who work at small, medium-sized businesses where they're, they're frustrated because at the small business, there's no career ladder. There's really no, no sense of hierarchy. It's kind of you and maybe a small team and maybe the founder or, or co-founders. And, and they kind of feel stuck. They're just like, you know, no matter what I do, I really am never not going to go anywhere. And so what they ended up doing was they observed, you know, again, the, the, high, the, the higher ups and they observed that, hey, actually, these are their goals. They're, they're trying to, for example, raise venture capital funding. They're trying to secure this client base. They're trying to break into this market. They're trying to build these internal programs. They're trying to build these features for this platform. Those are all aspirations. And if you can identify first what those aspirations are, then you can look left, look right, figure out who's actually working on this right now. And if you find that no one's actually doing this right now, that's what I call a swim lane that you can all of a sudden occupy in the same way that this temp office assistant did. The same thing can be said for desperations. So what's wasting this person a lot of time? What's causing this person a lot of stress? If you can take one or more of those things off this person's plate, you'll be a hero. So imagine being the person in charge and having someone come to you and say, hey, I noticed that we're, we and specifically maybe you are wasting a ton of time that you're probably not looking to waste doing this. I, I found this tool that we can use to automate this process. Or, hey, I found this, this low-cost freelancer or contractor that we can go on to, that we can rely upon and happy to make that intro and happy to manage this contractor for you. Or saying, hey, I noticed that this other company is doing things in this way. Have we ever considered doing this as well? And if you can save time or alleviate stress, you'll be a hero. Yeah, that's so good. I love that aspirations and desperations. Um, yeah, it's it's so good, Gorik. Uh, let me ask you one thing I'm really interested in. I know a lot of our listeners will have aspirations to to write a book. They're leaders. There's some sort of thought leadership that they're passionate about. Um, maybe it's 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 a part of their sort of marketing plan, or their head of marketing's been knocking on their door for a while saying come on, we really need to get you to write about this subject matter because you're, you're an expert or, or maybe they're an entrepreneur and they just know that's the next step for them. What, can, what advice can you give about how to, I know this may not be what you necessarily talk about um, in interviews uh, about your book, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. The process of writing a book and being successful in doing that mm. like, like you've been, what, what advice would you give? <laughs> I appreciate the, the question. I'm an open book, so feel free to, to toss these my way. And ultimately, I'm just trying to be helpful. So, so happy to answer this question. When it comes to writing a book, I think the first thing I would think about is what are your broader goals in embarking upon this project in the first place? Because you're busy and this concept of opportunity cost is a real one of what else could you be spending this time on? And is there anything else that is going to be a lower commitment that can get you closer to your goal or might be more enjoyable to you. So when I think about writing a book, when I look out there in the marketplace, people will generally fall under a certain set of categories. So there'll be 
those who want to write a book because they are passionate about this topic and this is their nights and weekends project. And they're going to write, you know, in this case, we're talking about nonfiction and perhaps business and leadership, but you know, some people might want to write fiction and it doesn't actually matter that they become the next JK Rowling. This is their passion project. They want to do this. That's category one. Category two are folks who already have a business that they want to sort of take to the next level, often a consulting business or a speaking business. And they feel like putting their content out there in the form of a book will help them increase their rates. And the, the third category is more of a memoir. So someone who's had an acclaimed career and they feel like, hey, I learned something that could be valuable to other people. Let me put it out there. And whether it's for the benefit of others or for your own ego, we won't go into that, but there's that third category of memoir writing. I think it's helpful to be honest about which of these three categories, and perhaps there are others as well, that you fall into. Because which of these three paths you fall under will dictate the type of path you go down. So for example, if I think about alternatives to writing a book, from high touch to low touch, or from high commitment to low commitment, you can take the traditional publishing route where you get a literary agent, you pitch to different publishers, you write and rewrite, you get matched with an editor, and this whole process can take anywhere from three to five years. Is that something that's really going to be beneficial to you? Slightly lighter touch will be, slightly more light touch rather, will be the hybrid publishing route where you have a lot of companies nowadays that are kind of a traditional publisher, but they're easier to get into and they'll help you sort of bring your book to market, but it won't be under a big name, it'll be under sort of their smaller niche brand name. Lighter touch from that would be the self-publishing route where all you really need to do is write your manuscript, get it edited, get some graphics together, and then upload it onto uh, a website like Amazon and you're done. And then that's on the book spectrum. Then there's other mediums nowadays. You can create a podcast, you can create a blog, you can create an online course, you can create TikTok videos or Instagram reels. And so I would really think about who is my audience? What are my goals with this audience? And what are they going to receive and maybe be impressed by? And you might, for example, realize that, oh, actually the traditional publishing route is too long, no one really cares. And my audience might not even be readers, in which case the question becomes, well, hey, Maybe you could go do TikTok videos or do a podcast or something else. Um, let me pause there. I threw a lot at you and we haven't even gotten into the whole nitty gritty of what you do in a traditional publishing route, but I did want to be comprehensive. That's so good. <laughs> no, I love the way you think, Gorik. I, th I think you brought up great questions because there would be a lot of listeners who it's just swirling around in the back of their mind book, write a book, everyone, you know, this other person in my industry is really successful. They wrote a book. I should write a book. <laughs> and I think you raised fantastic mm -hmm. questions. I love, um, I love what you said about audience, understanding audience. It sort of comes back to that idea of um, what matters to the people that matter most. And, and um, funnily enough, you sort of, I feel like when it comes to doing this sort of work, you, you do really need to 
understand who your audience is um, and then you can write to them. Uh, it, it's um, particularly for some listeners who will have a, a really a very particular person that they're writing to. If they are that sort of consultant and they really want to take their service offering to another level, then there may be a very specific uh, avatar who they want to write to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think often when I share the the timeline, people start realizing, oh, wow, it's not just about the input of words and the output of a book. There's a waiting period here as well. And what often also is underappreciated, certainly I'm speaking for myself, I, I definitely didn't appreciate this, is that when it comes to writing a book, it, it's similar to what we talked about for the workplace. We assume that doing your job is your job. In the case of writing a book, we assume that writing a book is all that it takes to write a book, when really that is maybe half at most of what you need to do. The other half is all in the form of publicity and marketing and sales, in which case that brings us all back to, hey, there are people, for example, who don't start with a book, they start with a blog or they start with a social media following. And the book ends up becoming the culmination of all of their content that they've released and that they've tested and that they've iterated upon yeah. versus jumping straight to the book, where if you jump to the book, you might still need to go back in time a little bit and build that following. Yeah, I, it's so good. I, Greg McEwen, who I really love his his work, Essentialism and Effortless, um, he did that particularly with Essentialism. I'm not sure how much with his second book, but he would, he would, um, he would use Twitter. So he would tweet these different thoughts and he would watch for how each thought was received. And so, which I have so much respect for because um, I'll, I'll explain a bit how I, how I wrote my book, which in some ways was uh, a similar process, but just with a different um, audience, but he would, he would use Twitter. He would do, he would be really passionate about something. He'd be like, this is fantastic. Tweet it. And then no one would care. And then something else he'd stumble upon and he'd tweet that and everyone would go off on it. And those were the things that he would then be like, okay, so then he'd tweet more about that. Yep, everyone is just, this is really of interest um, to my audience. And so that would become a chapter. So he would actually leave out the things, even if there were some things that he loved himself, if it wasn't resonating with people. Um, And so I would love to say I was that intentional, but I was a little bit more accidental with how I did that for me. uh, Because most of, uh, well, a lot of my work is coaching leaders. So I just found that um, I had this framework from my own experience and I had used it myself. I hadn't actually really thought about turning it into a book, uh, to be honest. But when I was sitting with leaders or talking with leaders over Zoom or over the phone, like I was looking for patterns, but 50%, there was this like one in every two sessions would bring up dealing with difficult people. And that to me was like Mm. not subtle. And I kept having to show people this framework that I had come up with. And then of course that helped me to refine it because people would say, yeah, but what about this? Or, but how does that work with this? And then, so I'd always be through conversation with them, refining it. And so after, you know, after quite a while, probably a couple of years, I, I looked back and realized, wow, this topic is coming up one in every two sessions. I have a framework that I've used myself. This is a no brainer. I like, so that was my process as well not as intentional as Greg McEwen in terms of going and, and putting it out there, but looking back, and I think we can all do that. We can all look back and say, 
what is it that I tell my clients or what is it that I, uh, that I talk to people about that captures their attention more than anything else? And maybe that's a starting point, if not for a book, to start that sort of process where you put blogs out or um, use things like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and see what resonates with people and then pay attention to that and try to, try to build on what really resonates. Yeah, that, that's so well summarized there. And, and it, it very much parallels, in my view, to the entrepreneurial journey. So uh, nowadays, folks are looking to startups and folks have probably learned about, you know, this idea of testing and iterating and A-B testing and creating something that's a lean, minimal viable product to this MVP. So I'm throwing out there a lot of startup kind of tech jargon. And this is all swirling around this idea of if you want to build a big business, you need to start really small and you need to start with, let's say one feature, and it might not even be something that you'll code up yourself. Maybe you just whip together a Google form and that kind of serves the function of whatever tool you want to build. And you put it out there, you might draw some sketches on a napkin, you'll show people and you'll ask, Hey, you know, what do you think? Which one do you like more? And it's through that process of dreaming something up, sketching it on a napkin, finding the fastest, cheapest way to test for people's reception towards this idea that these big businesses get started. And what I didn't appreciate until I started getting into this myself was writing a book is actually like building a startup. It's actually like, it's the exact <laughs> same process. The only difference is your, your product, quote unquote, isn't a software platform, you know, or, or a product it's, it's words on a page, it's ideas, but anyone in business would know just having a great product is necessary, but not sufficient. You need a sales team, you need to go to market strategy, you need marketing. And that's really where this whole social media following thing, this audience building thing becomes so important. Uh, otherwise you'll just sort of be this tree that falls in the forest with no one hearing it. Yeah, it, it is very similar. Um, so that's, I think people are going to find that really helpful. Thank you for unpacking that. One other thing I really want to ask you about, well, there's probably 50 other things, but I'd, I'd love to invite you back for another, um, episode, Gorik, because <laughs> I think you, are. like I said, there's so much we haven't, um, gotten to around, uh, yeah, around, um, for leaders, leading people. We've talked a bit about leaders who might be transitioning, but I just want to ask you about, uh, when it comes to leaders wanting to find and keep great people. What have you learned from writing the book is like, there's probably some things we already know about people and why, uh, you know, why, why we leave or stay at different jobs, but have there been any aha moments or any things that have really driven home to you about if you're in the leader role, how to find and keep great people in your teams? Yes. And I, I didn't quite appreciate this until my book came out. Uh, which is, I wrote my book through the lens of how can you as an individual perform your best? What I didn't appreciate was that it was also actually a playbook for leaders on how they can develop higher performing teams that are loyal, that can really move your business forward. And so actually everything that I talk about in, in my research can actually be looked at through a leadership lens. And I think about this leadership lens as falling under uh, three categories. How do you keep people excited? 
how do you have people feel supported? And how do you have people feeling valued? And when it comes to ensuring that folks are excited, certainly compensation is, is, is top of mind, but money is necessary, but not sufficient. I've met a lot of people who have been loyal to their teams and really want to stay regardless of, you know, even though um, they've been, they've been offered higher paying jobs elsewhere. And for leaders who want to ensure that their teams are excited, it's really about finding the intersection of your goals as a leader and your employees goals. So when I think about the job search and how we even engage with our employees, often leaders will think about, hey, this is what I need you to do. But what they forget about is what you want may not necessarily align with what others want. And thinking about and having the question and, and asking the question of, hey, how, what does success look like to you at the end of your experience here? And let's also be honest, this job, although I would be thrilled if you stayed here for the entirety of your career, given where the labor market is, I should probably bank on you wanting to build a career elsewhere. And I want to help you achieve that goal. So let's make a list together. Let's make a list of what mm. topics you'd like to learn about, what skills you'd like to acquire, the people you'd like to meet, the goals you'd like to achieve. And let's craft an experience that helps you help me or helps me help you. So that's the first piece around ensuring that, that folks are excited to show up. The second is around ensuring that folks feel supported. And when I first embarked upon my research, what I did was I went to employees and I had them rant to me about all the things that their managers did and didn't do that frustrated them. And I also went to managers and I asked, hey, rant to me about all the things that your employees do and don't do that frustrate you. And what was fascinating was it was a lot around miscommunication or lack of transparency or just communication friction. And I came up with a framework that I call why, what, how, by when. And the idea is anytime, and I'm going to frame this from the perspective of a leader and, as, and, and also as the perspective of an employee. As a leader, if you're delegating a task, it's important to clarify four things. One, why is this work needed in the first place? So what's the broader objective? Two, what do you need to get done? What's the deliverable? Three is how do you need it done? So how do you want this work to be done? Should you, do you want people to follow a template, think for themselves? And then finally, number four is by when do you need to get it done? So when's the deadline? When would you like to check in? And the same thing can be said on the individual, on the individual side, which is when your manager gives you an assignment, make sure you go through a mental checklist to make sure that you have clarified and have gotten onto the same page around why this is being asked of you, if this is even the right task that people are asking of you, what is being asked of you, how do you need to do it, and by when do you need to do it? If, if you don't clarify these these four things, you'll end up doing the wrong work, doing it the wrong way, mm. or not doing it on time, which creates friction, yeah. which lowers morale, which has people thinking, hmm, maybe this isn't the role for me. And then around having folks feel valued, it's really about making sure that everyone on your team feels both seen and heard. And this means running meetings in a way that isn't just oriented around the loudest talking, longest rambling person, but is a space where everyone can contribute. And there are simple ways you could do this starting today. You know, for example, making sure that everyone in the room knows each other and has a chance to introduce themselves. 
making sure that if you're asking for opinions, that you're allowing people to brainstorm independently. So you're not just reacting to the first person who speaks up, who's often the most confident person. Making sure you're going around the room and establishing kind of a round robin so everyone has a chance to speak up. And you know, if, unless you want groupthink, and, or unless you, you've already made the decision, in which case maybe don't even ask for opinions, is conducting some blind votes. You're not having folks look left, look right, and get peer pressured into a decision. People actually feel like you want to hear their voice and that when they do speak up, that you listen to their voice. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, great. Some, some great advice there. Well, I want to jump into Leadership Express and ask you a handful of questions as we wrap up. Are you ready? Sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Firstly, I will get you in a moment to remind everyone about your book because I really do want to encourage people to get it. I think it's 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 on point, timely, and and for many it'll be, uh, you know, just what they need either as someone on the search or as a leader wanting to maybe understand how they can use some of these ideas to to keep and find great people like we talked about. Uh, but then I also want you to tell me what's an, what's a book that you've gifted to other people. Mm-hmm. The the book that I've gifted uh, to other people. Actually, it's a number. It's a number of them, but I, I would say one of them is uh, Cal Newport's "So Great They Can't Ignore You." Uh, it's yes. essentially around how do you think about your career and how do you build rare and valuable skills, which is a, a Cal Newport term. Yeah, I love that. I, I do love that book as well, and I think the um, I love I love ideas like Cal Newport's that flip things on their head. Um, actually, I think that's what you do in your book. Actually. Um, uh, you know, the the unspoken rules, I think you flip it on your head. There's things that we might look at and go, oh, you know, oh, that's so unfair. And it's actually going, well, wait a second, flip it on its head and try to understand how it works. And you can actually leverage these same things. You don't have to be the one missing out. And Cal Newport does that wonderfully because we look at, uh, you know, we look at things and we go, oh, why isn't anyone doing that? Why don't people appreciate that anymore? It's like, well, why don't you do that? And if you can become exceptional in that sort of way, like he talks about that, then it, it's actually more rare and uh, valuable than ever before because of the changing landscape. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, next thing is, what is a, uh, I'm interested in what you're currently reading. You know, what are you reading? What are you listening to podcasts? Any blogs you're following? Just, just anything um, that you're really loving uh, reading, watching, listening to at the moment. Gork. Yeah, I, I love uh, The Atlantic, um, a US publication talks really at the intersection of social issues, political issues, economic issues, personal issues, I, I feel like they, they put out some some really smart commentary around, around what's going on in the world, and why we should care. Um, that's, that's a big one on my side. Uh, as it relates to to podcasts, I mean, I, I subscribe to really a whole bunch of of different startup podcasts just because it's always really exciting and empowering to hear about those who are able to do a lot with very little. So, how I built this by NPR is is at the very top of that list. Um, I have also listened, uh, for example. Um, to what's news by the Wall Street Journal, listen to the Andreessen Horowitz podcast. Um, so what I tend to do is I think about just how I spend my time is I spend a combination of my time sort of understanding the big picture, what's going on in the world, what's kind of what's just happening out there. Uh, 
I then try and figure out, so how are different people interpreting what's going on out there? Uh, and what opportunities are people spotting in the face of what's going on? And then all the while I'm asking myself the question, well, what does this mean for me? Um, that's kind of my process for, for taking in information and, and making use of that information. Yeah, that's fantastic. What is a recent leadership lesson that you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? Mm, I love that question. The, the, the most recent leadership lesson um, is actually a, a confidence building one. And it's the, the advice of realize that no matter where you are, someone looks up to you. And I think I, I found this especially empowering because, you know, when the going gets tough, I think it's really easy to say, you know, I'm, I'm not famous enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not accomplished enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. Right. And what I started appreciating, and actually this came from uh, a friend of mine who uh, had a technical background, pursued an MBA and is now doing a biotech venture. And, and he too was interested in writing a book. And he, he, he was telling me about how you know, he couldn't find his audience. He didn't know if anyone actually cared about what he was working on, if anyone would even listen to him. And then we had this conversation about how, hey, let's just take stock of who reaches out to you. And what he realized was it was a lot of people who were coming from technical backgrounds, engineering in his case, who wanted to enter the world of business. So he had, a, he had an audience of people with that persona already. And then he had another set of people who reached out to him who were MBAs looking to work in STEM. And uh, over time, he started gaining some more confidence and realizing, oh, wow, no matter who I am, even if I don't think I'm there yet, I'm not a tenured professor, I haven't won the Nobel Prize, I haven't exited my startup, that someone values me for who I am and the perspective that I bring. And so he too was and is a leader. And I think it just gave me personally a lot of confidence that, and, and I hope it gives listeners here a, a sense of confidence as well, that your voice matters and, and just taking stock of who reaches out to you for advice is a, a really good start. Yeah, that's... Um... Yeah. I like the way I, I, I like that, um, that story about, uh, about your friend. It's, uh, it's always encouraging when you, when you, when you can look at things with a different perspective. Um, I'm interested if you have any favorite questions, Gorek, when you are meeting one-on-one -on -one with someone with a team, when you're uh, doing a workshop, uh, are there any sort of favorite questions that you love to ask? Hmm. So no specific questions, but I always like to ask why and how questions. So I, I find that when you ask questions of other people, you can ask sort of factual questions. So, you know, what did you do here or what projects are you working on? You know, you might glean some insights from that, but a lot of times this isn't really where the really good conversation comes from. The really good conversation comes from, hey, I noticed that you transitioned from this role to this role. Take me back to that decision. Why did you 
end up making that decision in the first place? And did your motivations change from before to during to after that decision? That's sort of a, a why question. And then there's a how question, which is, I think, on the, on the, on the opposite side of the same coin, which is, you know, what was going through your head? How did you make this decision? How did you make this, this transition? Which also brings me to another set of questions that I like to ask, which is around um, transitions. So I'll, I'll go into a person's history and I'll say, hey, it's really interesting that you went from this to this. That, that seems rather unconventional. In fact, it might even look difficult or maybe even risky. Tell me about why you did that. And if you could bring yourself back to that moment, would you make a similar decision again? So I, I like to ask these why, how, bring me back, tell me about the transition type moments, because it really gets the other person to think and allows me to gain a new perspective on how to approach similar problems in my life. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's uh, so good. Uh, any movies or TV shows that come to mind that really impacted you? Oh, I always like sci-fi. I always like adventure. And uh, the most recent one that I watched was Dune. Um, my my decision, and, and I, I have actually regrettably not yet read the books and uh, Dune fans will probably uh, be shaking their heads and wagging their, their, their fingers at me on this. Uh, but I really enjoyed the movie. I, I thought it was fascinating to, to travel forward in time and to see a future that could be. Um, and of course, any movie that is scored by Hans Zimmer, uh, the composer, I'm basically there for. Yeah, good recommendations. Excellent. I <laughs> love it. Um, okay, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Mm. My one piece of advice is that no one knows the answer. And I'll elaborate by saying that if you are doing a mathematical proof, there might be a right answer. In fact, there is a right answer because it's math class. <laughs> but for questions of business and life and values and politics, so much of the messiness that makes life interesting, this includes career advice. This includes um, business strategy advice. When you ask for advice, what you're asking for is someone's perspective on your situation. What would they do if they were in your situation? And it's important to separate what others think and what others would do from an absolute truth, which frankly doesn't exist. And when I was first starting out, I think I would often look to senior leaders and I would think they, they've, they, they've lived an entire lifetime more than me clearly they know something I don't, or they speak so confidently, they must know something I don't know. What I didn't appreciate was that for a lot of the questions that I was asking about, should I do this with my life? <laughs> should I make that transition? Should I take this job? This is a matter of opinion, not a matter of fact. And it's really important to separate fact from interpretation or fact from advice. Love it. That's so good. Uh, for those who've really enjoyed today, can you just remind us how people can find you online, Gore? Sounds great. The best way is to go on my website, 
which is goric.com. That's G-O-R-I-C-K dot C-O-M. And there you'll find links to my book. You'll find me on social media. I'm especially active on LinkedIn, and I would encourage folks to connect with me. Uh, always looking to to continue the conversation and to meet someone new. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. It's been such a such a great conversation hearing some of Gorick's story, but also the book. I think there's going to be a lot of people jumping on and and um, and getting the unspoken rules. And uh, I encourage you to do that. Uh, I want to thank thank our listeners for uh, yeah for for tuning in as always and 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 uh, sticking with us as we have uh, we've had another great conversation there's also the John O'White leadership podcast and leadership question of the day podcast which listeners can go and check out if you want to invest more in your leadership but I want to land today by saying a massive thank you to you Gorik for being so generous with your time for giving such great wisdom uh, that you've shared in your book and and also for telling us um, some wonderful stories including uh, you know the story about uh, you and and supporting uh, your mom and how that really planted the seed for this um, uh, the these ideas that have become you know so helpful to many around the world and such a, an amazing thing for you to be doing it at really such a, a young age as well. So thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and, and sharing. It's been great. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. I really appreciate this time and love your smart questions. Really excited to continue the conversation. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. 
And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or Clarity, and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself, and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it, and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.